Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by the superb Mark Twig. Mark is the Executive Director for Cicero, and he has over two decades worth of experience working across the board in public affairs, corporate communications and market research. He's currently running a diverse and integrated team of market researchers, copywriters, social media executives, PR and public affairs specialists to create incredible award-winning content, marketing, PR and lobbying campaigns. He is an advocate for developing a positive mindset when it comes to mental health and a number of areas when it comes to diversity and inclusion. In 2019, he won the Inside Out Advocate Award, recognizing his impact as a business leader within the workplace, promoting business and mental health issues. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. And it's brilliant to have you joining me today. Uh, fantastic, even more so, to have a chat offline about what it is that makes you so passionate about diversity and inclusion. Now, for those of us who don't know you as well as I do, um, I wonder whether you could give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour, Mark, as to how you came to be in the position that you are in right now, because I know it hasn't always uh, been a journey of uh, petals and roses, but one um, which has had its challenges. That said, I'm sure they have made you and shaped you into being the leader that you now are. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right to say that it's not been um, a bed of roses. Um, I think actually for much of my life, I, I would say it was quite difficult growing up. I realised I was gay when I was seven, um, in a time and a place, sort of South Yorkshire in the 1980s, that wasn't very forgiving or very inclusive. So I always grew up always feeling apart from my community rather than part of it. Um, there was always a strong desire to get out and do something else and prove, prove myself um, to other people. So that was always in there. And I think whilst you take a lot of positives from that, it's also quite a negative energy, you know, not being part of your community and, and feeling distanced from people around you. Um, so I think that also had an instrumental impact on my mental health issues. Also about seven or eight years old, I remember having my first experiences with depression. So that sort of checkered my upbringing quite a lot. And sort of zoom forward to when I was 15, my father died of cancer. Um, which again was a very traumatic experience, um, sort of imploded my family. We've, we've not really got over that as a collective experience um, and made my teen years very difficult as well. And university was very difficult. But as I got into my 20s, I started to write side things, um, got onto a um, career path that I was very happy with, worked very hard. I was always um, had a very inclusive mindset. And that was one of the big drivers um, for doing Cicero. You know, I worked in the city before that, which um, is a very difficult place to crack and had very different values back in the 1990s. And Cicero, I think, was about saying to the world, actually, we can create and build something um, that is inclusive and is diverse by, by its nature. And you can build success on those principles. And that's essentially what the last 20 years has been about. Wow. And 
I mean, Mark, thank you so much for sharing. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like to to come out at the age of seven. I mean, it seems such a young age. And, you know, I think back to, to when I was younger growing up in Yorkshire, um, albeit North Yorkshire. And I, don't, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know whether I would say posh entirely. I think some of the people there like to think they were posh, perhaps, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, not actually perhaps as high class as they, they thought. But, um, but Yorkshire is Yorkshire, hey, and, and, and goodness love it for being that. Um, but I think when you are young, there is that real almost desperate sense to want to conform, to want to fit in. And so I wonder now, obviously, looking at the career that you've had doing multiple different campaigns, also being, being a trustee, which we must get on to, um, as well very shortly, is how that actually impacted your career trajectory. Because clearly you've gone into a field that has been creative. You've, you know, uh, uh, used this, you know, these different aspects of diversity to almost, um, you know, unleash some of the creativity that you've later on then experienced in the executive world. Talk to me about that that transition from from when you remember coming out as being LGBTQ plus, then to the feelings you experienced and how you came out of the other side. Well, I think the experience growing up taught me or forced me to be very self-reliant and very resilient. I never really felt like I had a lot of people around me who really knew who I was. Um, I wasn't open with many people. And as I was saying, you didn't feel part of that community. So you had to learn to entertain yourself in a way growing up. And I think a lot of the things I did gave me the toolkit for the things that I would like to do professionally and um, which would help me become successful. So um, my love of music, um, art, painting, creativity, the reading, access to ideas, um, all of these things sort of became baked in from a very early age. And it's almost like they are the, um, the, the skill set that you need to do the kind of job I do. Um, you know, if you don't have creativity, if you don't have ideas, if you don't see where the next big idea is coming from, if you don't learn to judge ideas and, and make sense of them, then you can't really do what I do as a profession. Um, so there's a lot of things in my childhood, which I didn't know it at the time, but inadvertently were giving me the skills I needed to to do what I would later do in life. So I I guess that happenstance was um, quite fortuitous. In terms of how that translated into something positive in in my 20s, I would say the biggest single um, difference or the the biggest single event was actually meeting my husband. And we have run and built Cicero together. Um, Both of us came from political backgrounds and working in financial services and we were both exposed to a culture that wasn't open and inclusive Um, so I think we've both shared that mentality throughout the last 20 years in terms of what we've tried to build and he is an incredibly inspirational person his work ethic is massive his integrity and his his energy are just second to none and when you are surrounded by that energy all day and you're feeding off each other then you just get much further in life so I think having positive role models, um, not just within your business life, but within your personal life, actually finding good company and making the most of it is, is such an important thing. I think in your 20s, you, you waste so much time sort of getting at the greasy pole at work and 
mixing with people you don't like, but you feel like you have to sort of make sacrifices. Um, and I, I've always been spared from that because of the dynamic we have, I have with Ian and, and Cicero. That is so wonderful to hear. And it's amazing, actually, how many successful executives I speak to who have felt excluded when they were younger. And it often makes me wonder whether that exclusion and that feeling of not being part of the in-group or not feeling accepted for whom you are is what actually really drives that need to want to succeed and almost barks the fire in the belly to really want to strive on and get on uh, in life and, and, and be successful. I, th I think there is an element of that. The, the other thing I think that... Um, is worth thinking about and that there is that ex well-known expression about it being lonely at the top. Um, and I think if you've experienced loneliness um, because you have been excluded from the group around you for whatever reason, whether it's race, gender, sexuality, if you've experienced that loneliness, then I think you just have the aptitude to lead because being in that leadership position does involve being lonely. And I, I think a lot of people don't have the aptitude for that, but uh, um, if you've experienced, if you've been on the wrong end of sort of exclusion in society, then I, I think you're almost driven into that kind of lifestyle. So I, I think I think it is a byproduct of um, of your upbringing and and the kind of cultural experiences and the, the values that you're exposed to as a child. I, I think it does prepare you for it. You know what? That is, I've never heard that before, and I can't quite believe it. It seems so self-explanatory as you say that and absolutely honestly that's actually blown my mind completely because it is so true when you're used to not conforming when you're used to not being in that flock uh, same as everyone else actually it's it's not a huge amount different and that's so interesting mark fast forward then to where you are right now you've met ian you've got a, a wonderful marriage you know clearly in a very creative relationship and and, and set up the business Talk to me a little bit about um, some of the campaigns that you do in present life and how actually these strands of diversity um, fit into working with some of the clients that you've had. Have you ever felt in any circumstances that has helped or hindered you in any way? And I'd also love to know a bit more about the politics as well, because I'm like, hmm, you know, back then, how yeah. inclusive was politics? Uh, starting with the campaign work, we kind of divide and conquer between us. Ian has been very active on LGBT issues for a, a very long time. He's an ambassador with Stonewall. He's very in, engaged with government um, initiatives and um, things that the government's doing to, to promote LGBT issues. Um, and I sort of do um, a lot of work around mental health because um, that's been an issue that I think one of the things that strikes me about mental health is I came out about my sexuality very early, um, even though there was a lot of stigma around it. Um, I didn't come out about my mental health until I was 40 years old, um, which I always think is a measure of how much more stigmatized that subject is. But I've always taken a view that um, once I got to 40, um, I took the view, right, that's it. Now I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of the closet on this and I'm going to throw myself into the deep end and really smash that stigma in our workplace and but also go out around the city of london and other workplaces and um, help them go down that journey as well so between the two of us we've done a lot of work across those issues and we also promote a lot of campaigns 
um, with Cicero colleagues around ge um, gender inclusion and race. So all of those aspects that um, go to make up um, the diversity and inclusion agenda, um, we actively promote all of it. And the great thing is sort of 15 years ago, there would have been clients um, in the city who would have been uncomfortable with that. You know, they weren't going to pride um, events and draping their brand in the rainbow flag. Um, that's something that came later. So I think in the early days, it felt quite brave. Um, and I certainly rem remember on the mental health front doing a lot of um, public um, speaking engagements um, across the city of London where I would recount my own experiences and, you know, I would break down in tears in a room full of 300 people. Um, and it was quite hard work. But over time, that's sort of become the norm now, people talking about these things and becoming more accepting. Um, and in terms of our client work, you know, the the thing I find, the thing I find the biggest change is a lot of um, the, the business we pitch for, you can't actually get through the procurement if you can't demonstrate as a company that you don't take diversity and inclusion seriously. And if these values aren't at the heart of your business, they don't want to do business with you. And it was almost like night and day opposite 20 years ago. They didn't want you talking about these things. Now there's an expectation that it's part of your business DNA. Um, and that's going to shape the way that you deal with them as a client. So now I find that just fantastic that that, that change has happened. Um, and it's a, a, a real testament to people like me, Ian, and tens of thousands of countless of other people who've campaigned on these issues over the last 20 or 30 years. We have transform the business landscape and, and and in a very good way as well it's something i'm very I'm, I'm really proud about as a person transformation epitomizes what has happened quite perfectly and again whilst i am slightly biased when it comes to all aspects of diversity inclusion belonging and equity nothing makes me more happy than hearing and seeing how much organizations really do now expect purpose it's not just a nice layer of icing on top of the cake it is something that absolutely is expected and to your point not only is it expected to be baked into the DNA of what you do and the culture, it's also prevalent at all different aspects, i.e. what's the supply chain like? Who are we procuring products and services from? Are they organisations that do care? What is the makeup of the executive team? I'd love to just ask you a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, because um, whilst it's wonderful that we're seeing now out and proud individuals and it seems to be far more accepting, how does it feel to, to ultimately almost relive or explain in certain situations with new clients or new people that you are LGBTQ+, because with it being an invisible mm -hmm. diversity I can't imagine because I'm not LGBTQ+, but I often think, wow, you must be needing to choose every single time. Do I say something? Do I not? It's not something that people can see from the outside. How will they feel? Is there yeah. still ever that level of anxiety? And what advice could you give to others, whether they're young leaders, whether they're existing leaders who may be longer in the tooth and think, oh, my goodness, it's been so long now, I couldn't simply come out? I think because of the relationship I've got with Ian, and we're a very public couple, you know, we work in a, an industry which is very high profile, um, and we speak on platforms, Ian speaks on the media regularly 
about LGBT issues. And you know, we're very open as well about our relationship with each other. So and anyone who knows our company and who would want to do business with our business knows about me and Ian. And we're very unashamedly an LGBT-led business um, and always have been. So from our perspective, I think it's, um, it's not something that I've hugely had to think about, although I have colleagues who bring their own various baggage with them. And um, even though they work in an LGBT-led business, they don't necessarily want to talk about their sexuality because um, I think there is still a sense... Um, depending on where people have come from and the kind of relationship they have with their parents. You know, I think families are still a, a big driver of homophobia in this country. Um, kids growing up not feeling loved or accepted by their own parents. I've done a lot of work with folks like the Albert Kennedy Trust, um, and their statistic is something like one in three homeless people in the UK are up from the LGBT community, um, which is a massive number of people because kids still get thrown out on the streets. Um, so a lot of kids young people come into the workplace with all of that baggage still. Uh, I think sometimes we're guilty of, as a society of thinking that we've done and dusted that issue. We can now move on. But I, I still think there are a lot of pockets of homophobia in this country. Um, and we mentioned LGBT. Um, you, that's even off, it's off the scale when you look at trans issues. And there's a, a lot of unresolved issues around trans um, and transphobia. And I don't really think we've got our head around yet as a society, how we deal with that. And there's so much stigma. All I can do as a business leader is create an environment in our workplace where people are accepted. And if they want to have the conversation, they can. And if they don't want to have the conversation, that's respected as well. Um, it's not about ramming it down people's throats or making them feel like it's a conversation they have to have. Um, but it's about giving them a space to have that conversation if they want it. Um, and that's all, always the way that we've approached this. It's not something that we push top down. Um, you try to get a blend, blend of the bottom up and the top down coming together. But for the bottom up to work, people need to feel that they've got the permission to, to speak and to talk about it. And as a manager, that's what I do. I give people permission. And from there, a thousand flowers bloom. So, you know, you, 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 you can't try to manage this too much. You know, give people the space to be themselves, let them bring their whole self to work, and the, the rest of the magic just works itself. I couldn't agree more. I, I think on safe spaces, creating that true um, place where people can open up is so critically important. We've done it a lot at, uh, at Dar Global. And it's, what's interesting is I spend a lot of time speaking to external leaders like yourself and obviously speaking to the team. And, you know, some of the younger generations, certainly that we have in the business, are, are so very relaxed about being LGBTQ+. It's almost kind of like, well, I mean, one actually said, I can't remember coming out I've just always I've always known like yourself at the age of seven I think wow um you know how incredible to know at such a young age almost but it is just second nature the measure of success that um and I've experienced a couple of times at Cicero um where people have come and gone so they may have been with us for three or four years and I didn't even know that they were LGBT until after they'd left really and, um, I remember I remember having a conversation with one after after she'd gone. I said, I didn't know you were a lesbian. And she said, well, I didn't really feel the need to tell anyone. It was never an issue. I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel in any way judged. I just, 
never felt I had to have that conversation. Like, mm-hmm. why, why would I tell you that I'm a lesbian? The straight people don't tell you that they're straight. You know, it's just a conversation that didn't need to happen because the environment was supportive and I knew that. And I think when you get to that position where we don't have to talk about these issues because they're not issues anymore, that's for me what success looks like. And it's absolutely amazing that she hadn't said anything. See, to me, that seems really unusual. But, I mean, what a mark of inclusion, the fact that, I mean, the pinnacle of, you know, of inclusion is ultimately us not talking about this anymore. But I think, you know, especially given what we've seen in the news and, um, you know, obviously some of the tragedies we've seen over across in America, it is realising that actually we don't all start from that equitable same place. We'd love to live in a world which is completely equal, yet at the same time, we must first recognise that people started from different places in life. Clearly a creating a, uh, an environment where, where people do feel incredibly relaxed and incredibly comfortable. But, um, you know, I guess moving on, it is, it's about that talent. It is about the, the skills that we see. You know, many an exec have I spoken to before and they said, I would not go somewhere if I knew um, or if I, if I didn't know that they were not um, very accepting, if they did not celebrate Pride Month, um, you know, keeping uh, the momentum up and keeping that heartbeat almost on is incredibly important for some because it's cultural, it's intrinsic, it's part of their DNA, ultimately. Yeah. Before we wrap up for today, Mark, I would love to go into a little lightning round, if that's okay with you. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer each of the next questions. I'm going to start the hardest one first. (laughs) I can see you smiling there. I promise they're not too difficult, but I'm going to start with the most challenging first. And that is, what would you say has been your secret to success? Or is there one? Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think one, work hard. You know, we live in a society where people think they can just become a YouTuber and success comes overnight. Most yeah. people are successful because they work hard. Um, <laughs> um, and the second thing is be be authentic, be yourself. You know, trust and confidence is the center of any relationship. And if you want people to trust in you and be confident in you as a leader or as a colleague, um, I think you've got to um, you've got to be yourself and you've got to be authentic. Brilliant answer. And how about, we've talked a lot about diversity and inclusion, but it's interesting that it means different things to different people. What does diversity, inclusion, belonging mean to you personally? Well, I think being, it's not about tolerance. Now, I, 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 was, I was always brought up to, my mother always said tolerance was about putting up with things you don't like. Um, so tolerance is a loaded word for me. I, I think it's about acceptance, where everyone accepts everyone else for, for whatever makes them different. And we are all different in our own way. Dif- being different is not something that's on the margins of society. Everyone has an issue that makes them different. And we just have to accept each other for what makes us different and live together um, on the basis of the, the common things that make us human. And I think if we can achieve that, then... Um, Job done. I can stop doing this. Make it sound so harmonious, Mark. Uh, and how about any favourite podcasts or books or, or anything that you've read recently that you thought is is particularly inspiring? You'd love our listeners to check out. 
Uh, I have a a um, bit of a bit of a um, oh, what's the word? I, I have a reluctance to spend time reading. Uh, I think is the way I, I would put it. Because I love I that you have so, so many books in the background, though. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm cheering into your background, looking at this beautiful golden globe along with all the books. I'm thinking, oh, I have a favourite in there. But I, I, I spend so much time talking to opinion leaders, um, and people who sort of run big businesses, people who are um, senior academics, um, um, senior people in government, regulators, that... You know, I always find I imbibe information more having conversations like this than I do reading books. So I've always had this thing about not spending time reading books. Although I must say, if I, if I can make a plug um, for this particular book, um, which was published a year or two ago by my husband, I, I have to give that a, a plug. Um, oh. It's called, you may remember, um, Boris Johnson made his infamous comment around F-U-C-K business during the Brexit debate. Um, so Ian went off and interviewed lots of people in government and business and said, um, how do we navigate our way through this? And it is, it's actually a, a fantastic book, I think, um, filled with lots of lighthearted anecdotes of Ian's life along the way. And I do get a few mentions, so I can recommend Ian's book, if I have to recommend anything, uh, at least maintains the marital harmony. <laughs> would expected you to uh, to do the brilliant plug there and actually I'd love a copy of that I mean it's interesting isn't it that given the year and a half that we've had it's kind of like what's Brexit really but um, I'm sure that'll oh. be the next thing back on to oh, back onto the agenda hey but yeah the F-U-C-K word or um, strategically starred out the U and the C actually is uh, probably how the vast majority of us are feeling um when mentioning the b word so um so well done ian and thank you very much for that we'll put the links in at the end of the show notes to uh, to the book so thank you very much mark and finally i wonder if you could go back in time and i'm really looking forward to your answer on this one um, but if you could go back in time and give some advice to your younger self perhaps you're you're seven or you're about to be seven, maybe you're six. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Clearly, you knew a lot about yourself at a young age. But what advice would you give to your younger self, or indeed someone who is going through something similar and really wondering where to turn next? Well, I, I always uh, a few years ago I came across a, a quote by Mark Twain, who said most of the things he'd ever worried about never actually happened. And I think there's always this sense. What, particularly if you've got a, a mental health issue, you know, if, if you suffer with anxiety or depression, um, then negative things get enlarged in your mind anyway. Um, or if, if you're closeted, you know, if there's, if there's things that you keep quiet because you don't feel you can talk about them, um, you create fear in your own mind. And I guess my, my advice to young people is most of what you're afraid of isn't real. You don't need to worry about it. Often, and talking about it is a much more um, constructive way of dealing with it. Um, so don't be afraid of life. You know, live it right from the get-go. And um, in my experience, 90% of what happens to you in life is positive. Um, you have to deal with the 10%, but don't worry about that 10% all the time. You know, get a good, healthy balance in your life and take time to step away from work. Um, 
the biggest mistake I've made in life is not taking enough holidays, for sure. <laughs> I think um, if you can appreciate your hard work and um, find time to switch off and enjoy life, that's 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 the big the big thing I would have done differently. I think. Well, Mark, thank you ever so much. And I must say, personally, I'm finding it very inspirational, also affirming, actually listening to you speak. Uh, as an entrepreneur um, and a business leader, I rarely take time off, not nearly enough. And um, as you said so articulately there, you know, when we look back at our lives, we look back at our achievements, our successes, the things that we have enjoyed, whoever says, I wish I'd spent more time at work, but it's very, very difficult to see outside of those often foggy windows when you are a certain type of character and you are incredibly driven, which clearly you are. Um, it's been an absolute joy speaking with you, Mark, and you know, especially given the fact that we've had Pride Month, I know that you are an inspiration to many, um, you know, the rich learnings you've had and the fact that you also, you know, bravely spoken out about coming out at such a young age. I think, um, you know, whomever is listening, whether you are a young leader um, thinking about the path that you're going to take, whether you are a seasoned leader thinking, do you know what, actually, um, you know, I really ought to uh, look deep inside myself and, and, and embrace my authenticity. Actually, as we've heard from Mark, you can use these um, you can use these times of trauma to actually supercharge creativity, innovation, drive and inspire a team that feels comfortable to be who they are. And most of us know that being who we are and spending less time worrying about how we fit in actually drives productivity. So how brilliant for business, how brilliant for wider society and how brilliant to celebrate being our true selves on such a momentous month. Mark, you've been a joy to speak with, and I hope that we can connect again after this, actually. I would love to pick your brains about uh, the world of politics and some of the other stories. So thank you ever so much uh, for being here on the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders Show. Thank you for having me. And there is a, a, a Brexit book in the post coming your way as we speak. Oh, hurrah! <laughs> <laughs> Hurrah, well, we can do an exchange. I will look forward to that very much. Please do thank your very uh, lovely husband. We'll have to get him on the show actually talking to us about um about the F-U-C-K Brexit. But even just saying the word, the B word, makes me shudder to the core. But um, if we can have a good uh, jovial laugh about it and look at the bright side of life, we uh, you'll have to have to get him to come come over um, and join me because I'm sure it'll be an entertaining conversation. So thank you ever so much, and I shall await the book in the post. Mark, uh, my name, <laughs> my name is Layla Mackenzie Dellis, founder and CEO of Dark Global. You have been listening uh, to the wonderful Mark twig if you would like to check out any more information about mark we'll make sure all of the links into uh, his profile and summary of the notes from today's show are in all of the show notes you can check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify any of your favorite podcast apps um, or visit us at www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast or in our app it's on the app store dal global uh, network and uh, and make sure you check out cicero as well brilliant organization doing some fantastic and innovative things. Uh, take care for now and we will look forward to seeing you again 